0: Unfortunately, we we burned a good cold open by talking about Barry Gordy and his son and great nephew for the last 10 minutes. No, is <laughs> if you're if you're listening to this show, please listen to
1: better music than you are currently. <laughs> I have to assume that if if I just adopt a carpet bombing uh stance on this that if every single person does better, then it will benefit us all and some of you may have great taste in music, I don't know, but, but, but it could always be better.
0: You could always oh, be more ch- discerning. You could always be oh, more intolerable.
1: I, I think a big chunk of our listenership has to have bad, bad just, just by the percentages of humanity. Why are you berating
2: uh, our listenership before we've even started the podcast?
0: I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously they have bad taste. They listen to us. There have
1: been, yeah, exactly. That's true, there okay. Go. Well, that's fair. <laughs> I was going to start talking about Andy Kaufman, but I think Adam gave the best one-line answer possible to deal with this situation.
0: Hey, hey, welcome in. <laughs> this is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com. That's SB Nation's DC United website. You can find us talking about DC United, MLS in general, U.S. national teams, soccer, broadly, you know, whatever catches our fancy in that Some, universe.
2: Sometime, sometimes RIO OKC.
0: So, yeah, we we might be the Ryo? most extensive.
2: Sure. <laughs> Why not?
0: We might have the, the story of reporting on Ryo OKC, the that, fiasco in the making.
2: That's how it's, Oklahomans are going to pronounce stop
1: it. Stop saying Ryo.
2: <laughs> that's how Oklahomans are going to pronounce it.
1: Uh, assuming they ever talk about that franchise. Anyway. Assuming
2: they ever play a game.
1: Right.
0: We've got a good show for you tonight. We are going to be talking about uh, the teams that are left in the MLS Cup playoffs. We're going to be talking some cake or death for DC United players, and we are going to take your questions in when we open up the Twitter box. Before we do anything, though, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking?
1: Uh, so, so I think, like most right-minded people, I live in a near-constant state of terror about the possibility that Rasputin still exists. Um, if you're familiar with Rasputin, you know that they, they tried to kill him about 600 times in one sitting and it didn't work. And it, that, none of that's probably true, but nonetheless, I, I like the story enough that I choose to believe that Rasputin still lives today.
0: Um, and at Christmas time, he comes and gives presents to all the good little boys and girls. No, no, he's Rasputin. little Rasp- boys and girls, sorry.
1: He, he works his way into cool. your inner circle and, uh, uh, terror and sadness result. And maybe, maybe, uh maybe you shouldn't know rasputin but he he'll trick you because that's what he does um north coast brewing uh has a russian imperial stout called um, old rasputin uh unlike the real rasputin and i'm saying like that he is real not that he was but is <laughs> um this is an excellent beer uh this is an excellent stout it's a 9% uh alcohol did you just say 80%. just
0: like the real rasputin this is an excellent beer
1: i thought i said unlike
0: unlike okay
1: yes you had, an inter- like.
0: you, you, you had an interjection in there, and it detracted from your meaning, obviously. Enough.
1: Um, but no, uh, it's an excellent stout. Um, it is a little... I guess it's not really expensive, but it's, it's a little pricey, but uh, I think it's worth it. It's stout weather, um, and this, uh, this one's one of the best that you can find, I think.
0: All right. I found something that was really obviously gimmicky, uh, a beer that was really obviously gimmicky this week, but I was nevertheless intrigued enough. It's from Schlafly Brewing out there in St. Louis. Uh, you, it is you can't there. say
2: Schlafly without sounding drunk.
0: No, you can't. It's really <laughs> the perfect name for a beer company. <laughs> Schlafly. Uh, they have a Tasmanian IPA, uh, which is made with, uh, hops from Australia, not Tasmania, but they still call it a Tasmanian IPA. Well, that's uh, yeah, it's a little yeah, but it is definitely more citrusy than most IPAs. Very, very grapefruity. If if you like that kind of thing, and it, it, uh-huh. it, you know, it's not necessarily my favorite, but but I recognize that that a lot of people would probably like that. Ben, what are you guzzling tonight?
2: So I went against my better judgment and picked a beer from uh, the state of Maryland, which Maryland, unfortunately, does have some good beers. Um, I'm drinking Yuletide from Heavy Seas, which is their, I'm reading from the label, it is their Weizen Doppelbach Ale, aged in rum barrels with ginger. And they gave, like, I, I bought a bottle because I forgot to bring my growler that I had cleaned to the growler store, but they gave me a taste of it. Uh, at the store anyway before I bought the bottle, and uh, yeah, it is quite delicious on both in
0: both variations. So it, I recommend it. it. Does sound very good, but um, we do have to take some issue here because I deliberately did not drink a, a Christmas beer or spiked eggnog tonight. I, I guess I'm taking your normal role, Ben, as the the etiquette curmudgeon here, and I have no, to point out that it is not yet Thanksgiving.
2: No, I, I...
0: Drinking a beer with Yule in the title is a little bit gauche. It's a little, no, little out of bounds. No, I, I
2: totally agree. I am, if you ask my dear wife, she will acknowledge that I am very anti-anything Christmas before Thanksgiving.
0: And yet? This
2: beer sounded too good.
1: Earlier today, I was watching the news, and the weather, uh, the weather guy said he was going to deliver the Black Friday forecast, and made no mention of Thanksgiving. So maybe Thanksgiving is just done. But it, maybe it's a collective hallucination. We've we've already started the Christmas season. We're just going to skip right past Thanksgiving and should, move on to consumerism.
2: Should we just move Thanksgiving to Canadian Thanksgiving so there's more time for it to breathe between?
1: Uh, it's and... gone. We can't. We can't okay. go back now.
2: Okay. No, I refuse. i like th- I love Thanksgiving far too much I mean it is, it probably, it is probably it is probably my favorite of the holidays
0: having it like on the whatever third weekend of October instead of columbus day would i 'd be okay with that yeah, I would have no complaints about that let 's get on to the soccer uh, this weekend. we saw home teams two visitors 0. <laughs> In the conference finals, both the Crew and the Timbers are going to take two-goal leads into the second legs of the series as they hit the road uh, with a trip to MLS Cup on the line. Um, let's start out west. Portland three, Dallas one. The center backs for Portland each bundled one in, and uh, on on either side of Darren Espria's goal of his life uh, to lift the Timbers to a 3-1 win over FC Dallas. Um, We'll we'll get into this theme a little bit more in the, the next game, too, but Portland, b- both home teams kind of took a page out of the visitor's book and gave them a taste of their own medicine, and yes, I'm mixing med- metaphors. You can deal with it. Uh,
1: it could be a book about medicine.
0: It has like, little and packets of medicine in it that you give to... I, I don't know. We're not, we're not going to take this. <laughs> the metaphors are mixed. Just leave it at that. Uh, Dallas, famously, is a counterattacking team. Uh, but, but Ben, Portland kind of lived on the break on this one. They didn't really score their goals directly on the break, but they had some decent chances uh, when when they got into the open field.
2: Yeah, they did a good job of that. They did a good job of just being able to control the game at their level. They didn't like Dallas was able to do some of their things, but not in a way that was that threatening and Portland was just able to adapt and do what they want. Uh, Caleb Porter hasn't necessarily been able to show that flexibility. He's been a little rough the past couple of years and it was I for for whatever reason, I kind of like Portland and it was good to see them actually be able to put it all together and figure out a way to hopefully for them get to MLS Cup.
0: Yeah, and I know uh, a lot of people were were worried on Portland's behalf about how they would come at this game because the their success at the end of this year, the kind of the they figured it out when they went to a 4-3-3 that involved Diego Chara as alone holding mid. Mm-hmm behind Darlington, Nagby, and Diego Valeri. Valeri was suspended for this one. Rodney Wallace was suspended for this one. They changed back to a a double pivot, a 4-2-3-1 for this one. Jason, obviously it worked out for him. What did they do to to make it work?
1: Well, by bringing in uh, Jack Dewsbury and playing with two true holding midfielders, and Dewsbury and really held even more than, than uh, Diego Chara did... Um, I think they kind of they took a lot of the wind out of the sails of Dallas' counterattack because when you try and counter and a team is a lot of times holding with uh, two defensive midfielders in front of a back four, there's nowhere really to get into. The the, the danger isn't there as much. It's hard to stretch them out when you've, they've got the extra man. So um, I think Dallas had some trouble with that. Moro um, Diaz still did a pretty good job of finding finding gaps in the middle. Uh, but down the wing, it just seemed like they weren't able to find, um, Fabian Castillo as much, which, um, a lot of times that movement for, for Dallas comes from the middle. They, they play from the middle out to Castillo and he, he does the rest. Um, and I think Portland did a good job of denying that, that option. And I think I saw a stat that said that Castillo was held to under three successful dribbles for the first time in who knows how long, um, so that's a credit to them, because Alvis Powell, is good, as much as he's a very promising right back, he's still only 20, he's still pretty raw, and you don't really want a player like that stuck against Castillo. And uh, Michael Barrios, who uh, for much of the first half, they were actually sw- um, switched, which was an interesting move from Dallas, because in the first 10 minutes, Portland really looked like they were just going to uh, kick the door down. Um, and Dallas did a, a little something to respond to just sort of force... Portland to be a little more conservative, um, but uh, ultimately I think a lot of it had to do with the the, the move to play the extra defensive midfielder, um, and but to continue having an attacking mindset. Just because you you move the pieces around doesn't mean you necessarily change the overall idea of how you're going to play. And Portland still attacked, um, which to their credit it really it really paid off. And I think earlier this season, they wouldn't have done that. I think missing Valeri and missing Wallace, they would have just tried to make sure there was a shutout and and just sort of settled in for that. Um, it might still have worked, that, that latter look might still have worked because they scored two set-piece goals, and as we know from following DC United, uh, defensive teams tend to focus on their set-pieces, and uh, it was kind of funny that Dallas uh, really kind of lives lives by the set-piece and dies by the set-piece so far in these playoffs because that's how they got to the shootout against Seattle, um, or set-piece goals, and yet, yet here they are giving up two, um, to the Timbers that really, in both cases, were just not well-defended, um, really kind of sloppy. Actually, all three of the goals, uh, Esprit, no matter how nice of a shot it is, the fact is that the, the moment that preceded it is a terrible turnover from Zach Lloyd. Uh, Jesse Gonzalez is about two steps away from where he should be when that shot is taken, so, um... Lloyd, actually, to to bring Lloyd up again, Lloyd really had a nightmare of a game. Um, He was involved on the first goal. He was involved on the second goal. Um, And by involved, I mean directly responsible for the first goal. (laughs) Um, He was marking Liam Ridgewell and then just stopped. He just sort of drifted towards the crowd of people, and Ridgewell just sort of jogged in a straight line, received the ball, and and finished as if no one was around.
0: Um, Because no one was around.
1: Right, and the the set piece thing and Lloyd's performance makes me wonder if Pereja won't consider a switch to Walker Zimmerman, um, who comes with his own issue because if Walker Zimmerman could stay healthy, he probably would be a starter, but he is maybe as injury-prone as anyone in the league, and Pereja, surely he doesn't want to waste a sub on a center back that gets injured, but um, on the other hand, the way they defended set pieces and the way Lloyd played overall, I, I don't know that he can't, Stan Pat. It's a really t- tough decision that he's going to have to make.
0: Perhaps most importantly, Walker Zimmer- Zimmerman's Mean Mug game is strong, as we saw after the penalties in the, uh, the last round of the playoffs.
1: <laughs> you, mean, you mean when he, he turned to Mean Mug and everyone dodged him to go celebrate with their goalkeeper instead?
0: Yeah, he, his, <laughs> his, his decision making on when to Mean Mug could use yes. some work, but the Mean Mugging itself was right. top drawer. Absolutely top drawer. Uh, so the Larry and Rodney Wallace will both return from suspension for the return leg in Dallas. What does Caleb Porter do? Does he put out a more aggressive formation when he goes on the road? Because two of his best players are going to be back or does he stick with the, the double pivot that worked so well the first time?
1: Uh, I don't think he can, I, I think the four, three, three is what got them to this point. Mm-hmm. um, and i think i think the the way portland has been talking since the game i think they really are committed to the idea of making sure they get themselves a road goal um because they if they score one dallas has to has to get three just to force extra time so um i think portland i think portland has decided that attacking is the what they're going to do for the rest of this year regardless um with valerian with nagby coming back i think they kind of have to leave Nagby in the middle, which leaves no room for an extra holding midfielder at that point, unless they want to move Valeri out to the wing, which there was a stretch of time last year where Valeri played on the right more than he did in the middle, but uh, that didn't really work that well. Um, I think they they have to go to the... It might not be a 4-3-3. It might be that the wide players, the wide forwards are really wide midfielders, and they play more of a 4-1-4-1, but I think... The central trio will still be Diego Chara underneath Valeri and Nagby, Um because I think that's what's that's what's changed their fortunes and I, I think there's too much good there um, and and there's also I think the I think they can get away with uh, shifting away from having two holding midfielders in, in, against Dallas because Dallas is still da- Dallas is stuck in a really difficult position because they've got to throw numbers forward but. You make a mistake in that situation, and you're wide open and I think I think Porter is going to decide that 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 those mistakes that, that chance to to catch your opponent when they've they've thrown too many numbers forward I think it's too tempting um I don't think that they were that as i said um playing the second holy midfielder didn't necessarily shut down Diaz um and I think they they realize they that the have job some
0: pretty magical passes in this one right. And, and I Diaz, think that they
1: realize they realize that the job there is not so much um, shutting Diaz out of the game as much as containing his influence and making sure that the 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 wide players for Dallas aren't speeding past the fullbacks. And I think if they can restrict that, they'll they'll cope with Diaz as long as they are cutting out Barrios and Castillo. If they can if they can contain the ball or contain the game in the middle and, and I think they're going to try and do that by keeping the ball, um, which means more Valeri and more Nagby. So um it would shock me quite a bit if we saw one of Nagby or Valeri suck out on the wing and they stick with a four two three one. That would be a major surprise to me. I think um Porter has kind of pushed all his chips in on uh the more attack minded Central trio with it with Chara underneath those two. So that's what I would look for. Um, but then again, the Portland Portland admitted that they kind of misdirected everybody all week by saying, um, "You know, we gotta focus on defending." And will, will it be Will Johnson or Jack Jewsbury um, playing in defensive midfield? And they made it sound like they were going to be a little more negative and, and accept another zero-zero uh, home draw like they got against Vancouver. Um, and they may they may have uh, they may have tricked Dallas a little bit, and they may, it, or it, it may have had an effect. I'm not sure. Um, but I don't think that they're going to change strategy at this point. I think they're going to follow this attacking thing all the way to the end.
0: Ben, do you think there's any big changes Oscar, Oscar Preja can make, or is it just suck less on defending set pieces and get Castillo into space? Is that really all it comes down to?
2: I mean, yeah, I think it is suck less on, on defense and, and <laughs> Get Castillo going. I mean, Fabian Castillo, who very spurious rumors had, uh, rumored at being a $34 million man uh, in this offseason, which is ridiculous for any
0: MLS player. That would crush by multiple times over the existing MLS record.
2: It's absurd. So don't believe everything you read, children. Um, But... Yeah, he, he he needs to get into more space and be able to create more. And, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's like... I mean, at this point in the season, you are who you are. There's there's no big changes you can make to try and be someone different. You have to... You, you've come in with your game plan. You've made it on what you are. And at their best, Dallas can make up this difference. They can... Uh, especially at home right yeah they're at home um mm-hmm. they they can they can make up a two goal difference uh especially with uh an away goal to uh, to their advantage um they're not going to do it by playing a different game that they're going to do it by playing their game and i don't think it'll happen but it surely could
0: all right, that'll, that'll be the first game on Sunday, 5 p.m., I think, on ESPN. The second game will be 7.30 or so on Fox Sports 1. It will feature the New York Red Bulls and the Columbus Crew. They played to a 2-0 Crew win this weekend, Columbus scoring a whole nine seconds into Yay. the game. And then waiting until later on, like very late in the game, to put another one past a completely flat-footed uh, Red Bulls defense. And if you get a chance to watch that goal, and if you haven't seen it yet, first first go watch the Espria goal from the Portland-Dallas game because despite all the mistakes in it, it is just a ridiculous goal that will leave you, your jaw, agape. Uh, but this other goal in the New York game, and the the Columbus game, and I didn't write down the player's name, but it's not one I'm actually familiar with. Jason, who who set up that goal? Uh
1: Cedric Mabwadi or Cedric. Uh, I'm not sure whether he's supposed to be referred to by his first or last name. I've um, just Cedric, heard Cedric. I'm, I've just
2: heard Cedric. Alright,
0: right. right we'll I, Cedric. I've heard
1: him, but yeah, Cedric came in off the bench and destroyed everyone in his path.
0: And and basically went and won mixtape on the New York defense. Just dribbled past three different guys it all inside. New York's box. One of them was Dax McCarty who got tackled by his own teammate because they were so twisted up. And then Felipe was just left in a, a heap by basically a, a shoulder fake. Um, not even a, a ball fake. Not not anything with footwork. Just a change in in body shape and momentum left him just kind of... His ankles broken and he was just in a heap, which... For those of you who've been listening for a long time and have been DC United fans for longer than a year, you will understand why you can hear a smile on my face as I talk about Felipe lying on the ground in a heap. And then he, you know, tried to chip or or go kind of towards the crossbar against Luis Robles, who got a hand on it, to his credit. Not enough of a hand because it just went across the face of Golda Kaikamara, who scored with the bottom of his foot. Um and that that sealed the deal at 2-0 for Columbus and gives them a a big advantage as they go into Red Bull Arena. If they get a road goal, the series is all but over. Um, Ben, let's talk about the start of that game. It was basically a set piece out of the gate, off the opening kickoff, for the crew. They they played it back and then played it long. Kamara knocked it down for Finley, who won the ball. Uh, It squirts loose to... Justin Miram right in the center of the box, and he puts it right past Luis Robles, who was a little bit frozen uh, on the play. Uh, for me, this kind of shows what benefit a, a target man can be against the Red Bulls, and playing it long to a target man, so long as you have runners to go to run off him.
2: Right, exactly. I mean, it was obviously a drawn-up play to try and take advantage of the Red Bulls, and uh, I know Jason would disagree with me, but I would say that is what Ben Olson was somewhat trying to do, something similar, but just didn't have the right personnel to do so. But past that, it was a it was a well drawn up play designed to take advantage of the uh, to take advantage of the Red Bulls and the fact that uh, Zubar is in there and he's not their first choice and. Uh, to take advantage of the fact that they played DC United the past uh, two weeks after before the international break. And so they may not be expecting, they may not be ready for as uh, a, a more offensively adept team. And so it was, it was a perfect situation for them to just start out and punch the Red Bulls in the teeth. And they did and, they were able to take control of the game from the very beginning.
0: I mentioned it in the last game. The home team kind of took a page out of the visitor's book, and and that was the case here too. New York is well known for their high press. Columbus are much more, they'll take the ball wherever you, you let them take it. They're not going to try to force the issue in your defensive third when you have the ball. But they kind of did in this game, Jason. They they pressed New York, and New York did not respond well. Dax McCarty had his single worst game passing the ball since he joined the Red Bulls.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, Columbus deserves credit for realizing how important it was to disrupt McCarty's uh, passing game um, because it, it's funny how in the modern era now, a defensive midfielder's ability to connect passes has become so vital. Um, we, we see it over and over again in MLS that if you can throw that defensive midfielder's connection off with the back four, if you can make it so that he's not completing um, that many passes, or, or, or te- he attempts many, but he doesn't complete as many as he normally does, all of a sudden a lot of the other pieces start to um, fall out of place. Um Felipe's uh, ability to connect with Sasha Question becomes a little less uh, less of a, a thing less of a factor um, Sasha Question's having to come back deeper and now all of a sudden you have this gap that opens up between Bradley Wright Phillips and the rest of the midfield um, and it all comes from taking that, that bottom piece of the puzzle out basically um, I think Columbus was really smart about making sure that they pinned in the fullbacks as well which is something United did a terrible job of um because what happens with McCarty a lot of times is that if Felipe and question are there, if he can't go forward, he's always got the fullbacks to to look out for. Um he's always got a sideways pass rather than a backwards pass. And Columbus did a great job of forcing those fullbacks to stay deep and thus McCarty has lost two of his main options and then he looks in the midfield and then he's he's all of a sudden it's it's the same numbers. It's uh two teams playing four, two, three, one. So um, he doesn't have that extra man up to go for, and all of a sudden he's got to complete a pass to a winger or a forward, and Columbus's fullbacks are perfectly comfortable stepping up high. They spend most of their time playing much higher than normal. So the wingers are probably not in a in a good spot, and now McCarty's having to look for Bradley Wright-Phillips against two center backs. And so all of these things start to go wrong, and he doesn't want to – the Red Bulls don't – like him to play backwards. They're very, they're a very go-go-go team. So he's not going to play back to the center back, so what do you do? Um, you take away all of his other options, and he's either got to do something that's low percentage or something he doesn't want to do. And he's got to make that decision very quickly. So um, tactically, Columbus got a ton, right? Um, New York never really figured out uh, what to do about it. They never really changed that much. Um, th- you know, the only thing they really looked to do is to bring in Gonzalo Verón. To add a little bit more technique on the on the left, but that didn't really influence the game whatsoever um, i I really think that Greg Burhalter just completely outcoached uh Jesse marsh. i think that there was a note on one of the articles on mls's site today that uh, Burhalter mentioned the second goal, especially um he mentioned that a lot of credit goes to Josh Wolf um, who had uh stepped forward and made the point that he was noticing that. Kamara Lawrence and Ronald Zubar looked completely exhausted. And they might not have brought in Cedric uh, to play on the right wing and, and run at those guys if not for that, that little piece of knowledge. And that, you know, obviously one nothing versus two they, they nothing.
0: They might have because Ethan Finlay wasn't having a great game either.
1: Well, no, he wasn't having a great game, but he was still doing a lot to help, help them win the game. He, he wasn't effective as an individual, but his job in their system was being done very well. Um, but they, they might not have made that sub, or they might have held that sub too long. They might have waited a few more minutes.
0: Um, and Speaking of, uh, my understanding is Klinsman did finally signal for the third sub after he got back to the U.S. from Trinidad and Tobago.
1: And who was it
0: that came in? It <laughs> uh, he, he was actually the the luggage guy from the okay. airline. Yeah. He just
1: stepped onto the empty field at the, the uh, national stadium?
0: He, Klinsman actually bought him a plane ticket, said, you need to go to that stadium and get on that field right now. It was, it was, it was kind of weird. It was awkward for all parties involved, but <laughs> my sources tell me that, that that was Klinsman's plan for the third sub.
2: The, the luggage guy, uh, his name is also Alan Gordon.
1: <laughs> but, but you know, it was interesting to see um, we, we were just talking about this uh, offline but um, the crew bench is essentially turning into DC 2012 um, yeah. the equipment manager uh, David Browser just uh, got hired away by the crew or is leaving to join the crew or I don't know the circumstances but um He'll join Josh Wolf and Pat Onstead and and who knows who else uh, working at the crew um, for Greg Burhalter, who I guess must have been a huge fan of the 2012 version of DC United. Um, and he's now on his way to, to doing what that team did, which is to knock out the Red Bulls, which is pretty fun in my book. Um, probably won't be as dramatic as, as DC's because this series has not switched uh, the order of the legs, and there's no major storm coming, and Columbus is up two nothing, so uh, the drama side might not be there. But you know, you you knock the Red Bulls out however you can.
0: You know, if if the Red Bulls, you know, Bradley Wright Phillips gets on the board early, goal in the second half, all of a sudden it's two to two, and then, you know, a I, I don't know who their version of Nick DeLeon is, but he he gets in behind the the line and He's puts one past, puts one past Luis Robles late in the game. That could be almost as dramatic as 2012 was that is what i'm officially predicting now just because it's the red bulls it would be incredibly heartbreaking for them and wonderful for me
2: i i would prefer just a beat down by the crew i'd prefer like a 3 to 0
0: you want you want them to do to new york what new england did to them last year yeah i do. that's also also fair
2: i've always i've always been a proponent of especially especially in games that with teams that i actively like uh I prefer I would pre- much prefer just a giant beatdown rather than a good game
0: That's that's fair Ben do you think any either team makes any changes in New Jersey or do they just try to be better versions of themselves
2: I mean obviously uh, Columbus isn't making any changes so And, yeah, again, yeah, I think they're just trying to be... Like I said before, I think at this point, they are who they are. I mean, New York could bring in Gonzalo Verón into the starting lineup, but that doesn't seem like a good idea after he's been a sub for so long, even though they paid a crap ton of money for him, that it doesn't appear on the MLS salary charts. I think, I mean... Or you could bring in Sean Wright Phillips. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's a good idea. He's even healthy. Uh, yeah, but even if he is, he's still Sean Wright Phillips.
1: I, so, uh, no, go ahead. No, that's just, uh, I'm done. I'm just like ugh, Sean Wright Phillips. I mean, the thing with the Red Bulls is, and this has been a theme all year long for them, is that everyone everyone has been clear on the fact that no team is more sure of who they are and what they do than right. the Red Bulls. The problem for them is that someone found them out. Um, Columbus clearly figured out how to beat the Red Bulls. They showed everyone this is the blueprint on how to beat this team. Um, The problem for the Red Bulls is what's plan D? Um, And if Jesse Marsh is going to be given Coach of the Year for some unknown uh, reason, I mean, he won the Supporters' Shield, but um, he was basically being instructed on how to to run his team. He's going to be given a blueprint on what to do. And he had no injuries all year. I don't know so how he gets Allie the coach Curtis of the year. Curtis is
0: the coach of the year, is what you're saying.
1: No, Ralph Rangnick uh, is coach of the year uh, sitting in an office in Germany somewhere. Um, because that that's the the way Red Bulls soccer organization. go you know, to wants a Metro and look up their stuff on Ralph Ball. It really um, is well-researched. It's pretty much the only place on the Internet where people are actually looking into this um, about how the the management side of Red Bulls, all of their teams, is... There's a, a a playbook already in place. It's not Ali Carter's playbook. That's a different thing that he has for himself, I think. Um, but anyway, um, Jesse Marsh uh, needs to show his coaching abilities. And
2: it's also funny. I think I was listening to another podcast, and I think they they were talking about how I think it was Red Redberg, uh, not Salzburg. What's the other Red Bull? Leipzig. Yes, they did basically the exact same play that. Columbus crew did in the first ten <laughs> seconds, yes, and so yeah, just the fact that they
1: didn't send that
2: well, bit of information over to Red Bull, New York
1: well, is actually the thing clearance. is the, the red, uh, I believe there was a quote from Dax McCarty where he said that the last time they played Columbus, Columbus tried that mm-hmm. exact thing over right again, yeah, 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 where they played it to will trap, he played it long because he's pretty accurate over distance. Uh, you throw it up to Kai Kamara and then the runners are present because they're charging from midfield so they know what's coming. Um, and in this case the Red Bulls just did a bad job defending the knockdown. They did they didn't do well with Finley winning the loose ball and Salzizo did nothing to track Justin Merrum. Actually Salzizo and Matt Niaska both did nothing about um Merrim. So they were just not ready to go, which is something that as DC United fans were kind of familiar with because we saw uh not not our fair share of first minute goals, but like a decade worth of yeah. first minute goals
0: uh, conceded by a team that was just unaware. So we were um, the one percent when it came to yeah the, our collection of first minute goals allowed.
1: But I would say for for the to the Red Bulls changes, there's not really much they can do. Um, Verone hasn't made a difference in games enough to justify putting him in. Um, I saw some mention of um Anatoly Abang the the I don't know if he's 18 or 19 year old but he's he's a big target man um that they've brought in a few times and they they earlier in the season there was a stretch of time where they played Bradley Wright Phillips on the wing and uh, they essentially dropped Grella for that um to bring in Abang and have the long ball option but I don't think that they're going to drop Grella given the season he's had for a teenager on the off chance that long ball works, especially since um, Gaston Sauer will be back from suspension for Columbus, and he's going to walk straight back in the starting lineup because uh, Tyson Wall did a very good job. He overachieved, but you know when you overachieve, it means that regression to the mean is coming around the corner. And um, I feel like if Columbus stuck with him for another game, they might have a real problem on their hands. So Sauer is going to come in, which means the The idea of going long to a target man is even less appealing. Um, I think Marsh is just going to try and uh, get his team to execute better. They're probably going to work a lot on some clever set pieces because Columbus isn't that good at defending set pieces. Um, But other than that, I I think it's just going to be, for them, it's going to be about execution. I think for Columbus, there will be a little bit less high pressure. I think they're going to be a little more selective um, and a little less adventurous with the ball, and a, and maybe a little more reliant on Camaro's ability in the air. Um, but all, ultimately, I think the series where there are going to be changes is probably going to be uh, out west. I think in the east, I'm not sure that there's no evidence, at least, that Jesse Marsh has a plan B in place. Um, I think his plan B is see plan A and start from the beginning. So
0: basically, um, turn plan A up to eleven.
1: Right, and, and we've seen Which that I
0: happen. New York's going to do. I think they are going to come out. As confident as they can be at home, I think if they don't score in the first 20 minutes, we are going to see a team with some nerves, and they are going to be very start emotional, playing tight.
1: Right, it's going to be a very emotional, um, emotional game, and I think that means for Columbus, they need to be really emotionally level. They need to be very uh, medium to, to steal. I don't know who coined that phrase, but I'm stealing it. Um, they just need to they just need to stay really calm and stick to. What they do best, which is keep the ball, spread it around, make the other team defend from touchline to touchline. Um, they probably need to watch out for Will Trapp because I feel like Columbus or New York is going to try and key on him physically um, to try and disrupt Columbus's game. Since you know New York will have plenty of tape to look at about how their uh, smaller, uh, high percentage passing defensive midfielder got uh, chased out of the game, um, I think they're going to try and make sure that happens with the crew. Um, we might see a little more of Michael Parkhurst and Sauro uh, passing the ball, uh, just just as a way to sort of mitigate that. But um, yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. That I think the Red Bulls are going to come flying out looking looking to get their first goal early. Ain't everyone wants to score early? But I think New York is going to maybe have put too many eggs in that basket. And um, if Columbus can really survive those first. 20-30 minutes. I think they're going to be in a pretty good spot. We've seen this happen before to New York as well, where um, they get in at Red Bull Arena and it's like they have to win the game straight away or else it, they're doomed. Um, there's very little patience uh, in in the stands and also in within a lot of their players, and um, that served them well a lot this year, that the urgency that they play with. But I think in this case, it might be a double-edged sword.
0: And with that, we are going to take a quick break. We will be right back. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, yeah. And you never, ever use the term correctly?
2: Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly.
0: Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly. All the time. In fact, that is what they do.
2: Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them?
0: Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, they have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So, Ehrlich Law Office, it's a it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine, His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben. Uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's time now for a little game we like to call Cake or Death. Uh, it is where we run through DC United's roster and ask whether we want players back for next year. If we do, we give them cake. If we don't, they get death, exactly as Eddie Izard envisioned it when he wrote the joke all those years ago. Um, this is actually a feature we've been running on blackandredunited.com for now, um, and we, we'll go through just the players that we've, we've done in the last week on the site um, and kind of run the rule over them in an audio medium rather than a textual one. So let's get started. First up in our alphabetical list is uh, DC United's rookie this year. His name is Miguel Aguilar, and I assume everyone is giving him cake.
2: Obvious cake. Obvious goat, rather.
1: <laughs> I forgot that this was goat or fox previously. Not previously, which, currently. Which no, didn't make any sense then, no, nor no. does it make any sense now. But uh, I also am going to have to go go.
0: <laughs> you guys just love ruining beautiful things. <laughs> uh, we never uh, did settle on why fox was bad.
2: Because fox foxes <laughs> eat goats, I think.
1: I don't think What kind of foxes are you around? They're pretty small
0: foxes. They yeah. eat like rodents. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah, foxes are probably like an army like... of foxes might be able to eat one goat.
2: Foxes are about the same size of goats, so I don't know. But it's no, it's, they're not. It's...
0: Have you ever seen a goat <laughs> or, <laughs> or a, a fox? fox? Yes. <laughs> how big them. do you think foxes are? They're smaller than most dogs. Goats are small too.
2: Not that small. Do you see? Do you have like? Giant mutant goats in D.C.?
0: No, I mean, do you have... <laughs> yes, obviously we do, actually. Uh, we have government research goats.
1: I-, I think you have giant mutant foxes uh, trailing you throughout your life, apparently.
0: Yeah, down there in Virginia.
1: A fox is the size of a very small dog. Like, your dog is probably larger than most foxes.
0: <laughs> my dog
2: is, what, 35 pounds?
0: That's, yes, my dog that's is like 35 the size pounds. of three foxes. That's, yeah, that's
2: a big fox. I've seen a fox. I've seen a fox here in the <laughs> city limits of Richmond, Virginia.
0: Are you and sure it, it wasn't a coyote? Cuz coyotes are bigger.
2: Yes, I'm sure it was like I'm sure it was a fox because it was red and had a large bushy tail.
0: Jason, that checks out.
1: Was it was it a goat wearing a fox costume? <laughs> that I cannot <laughs> confirm,
0: a but, wolf it did, but it did but it's a good did, thing. Don't eat me. I'm one of you. <laughs> it,
2: it did run away and go into a burrow, and I don't think goats, even in fox outfits, would go into a burrow.
0: That's exactly what they want you to think.
2: <laughs> it's possible.
0: Miguel Aguilar um, didn't get as much playing time, maybe, as, as some people wanted. He had a spectacular goal in preseason to help win the Armadillo down in Austin, uh, and it will be the only Armadillo trophy for the foreseeable future because um, my understanding is... Wait, is that right? Forget I said ad- No, are yes, that's inter- right.
2: The Aztecs are on a break this year.
0: Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Um, but I think he's somebody that... Basically, everyone wants back. We have a lot of commenters who are trying to shoe him, shoehorn him into positions that he doesn't necessarily fit because he's a really exciting, intriguing prospect. But he's not a central midfielder. He's probably not a forward at this level. He's a wide midfielder. He's a winger. Right. Outside um, forward, maybe, uh, in a 4-3-3 or something. But he's that that's his position, and we should not yeah, try yeah. to shoehorn him into places where right. he doesn't belong on the field.
1: I actually think, as a wide forward in you know, a three-forward setup, he would be pretty pretty excellent fit at that. Um, or in a four-two-three-one, I think that helps him uh, quite a bit. Um, Aguilar's problem right now uh, is decision making uh, on and off the ball in defensive phases, um, awareness of the game that's going on. Um, in terms of skill level, in terms of adding some speed to the team, I don't think there's any doubt that he's a a, a useful player for DC United. Um, it just, he's got to develop the, the, the mental side of his game. And if he does that, I think we're going to see a lot more of him.
0: And he has a full off season to go over tape, to do whatever studying he needs to do to, to get to that place. And yeah. Lord knows DC United needs some speed, uh, and that, and, especially and, next
1: year. And Aguilar is a very driven person.
0: Mm-hmm. He wouldn't,
1: he wouldn't be where he is at all if he wasn't. Um, so you know that the signs point to him improving quite a bit in the offseason as well as um, in the preseason and going forward in 2016. I think we should be expecting Aguilar to force Olsen to put him on the field I, I don't think I think he's going to push his way into more minutes whether anyone likes it or not
0: next up on our list a man at the other end of his career Davey Arno who ended the season injured with a uh, concussion symptoms. Uh, He's 35. He's just had his third, I think, big concussion in his career. He was, Ben, as you wrote earlier in the fall, DC United's indispensable player. Without him, they really had to change the way that they played the game, even with a guy with the quality of Marcus Halstie, who... Has looked good in European Champions League games. That's the level he's coming from. He could not quite replace Davy Arno.
2: Yeah, no, he couldn't because Davi Arno is basically everything Ben Olsen wants in a central midfielder, uh, all packaged into one Texan whirlwind. And so it's it's hard to replace, especially in the middle of a season. Uh, especially when you're not the player who was brought in to play that role, and all that combined, yeah, it 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 was tough to see Arno go down, and it really did mark a different epoch for the uh, team. Uh, all of that said, I I I wish Arno the best in recovering from his concussion, but obviously, United at least needs to have a player who is a credible starter who's. Train, who's trained with the starting group to replace him, because especially at 36, even if he comes back next year, which is not a given, he's not going to be a full-time starter. He just can't be at that age, uh, even though he's been a great player, a great has had great fitness levels his entire career. He just can't be penciled in as a starter, so you've got to have another starter-caliber player at that position, whether it be Michael Farfan, whether it be somebody new that you bring in. Uh, there's just got to be somebody new at that position. So I think I give him a provisional fox, just on the based on the fact that they have to bring in somebody else who can play that position.
0: We're just going to keep speaking different languages during this, this whole exercise. Um, Jason, would you give him cake or death? It's a, it's really a tough call for me because he is so important to Ben Olsen's system, but at the same time, we do need to move forward. He is nearing the end of his career and coming off uh, a concussion that, that may actually be the end of his career.
1: Right, and I think this decision might end up being uh, one that he makes himself. Um, I think maybe five years ago, uh, it's a tough a tough call, uh, not knowing the, the concussion issues or anything like that. I wouldn't want to speculate on, on how things are going for him day to day. But, um, when you're already at an age that midfielders tend to retire or have been retired, uh, at, um, having a months long mental, uh, or, or brain injury, um, that's not really something you really would want to test. I, I would be surprised if Arnold decides to continue his career, um, not based on any information, just based on knowing that he has a concussion and knowing what his age is um, and that he has a history with concussions. Um, I think United really has to move on, whether it's to find another player that can play his role um, a little better Um We've seen some talk of Will Johnson. Personally, uh, I would like to... I'm kind of spoiling something I'm going to write in the future, but Russell Tybert, um, who does not start for Vancouver, but would be fantastic in that role for DC United. Um, but in any case, whether that's the move or whether it's a change in style of play where that um, second, more abrasive midfield position alongside a defensive midfielder, that, if that doesn't exist... Um, you move to a diamond or to a 4-2-3-1 where there's more of a linking aspect involved. Um, either way, something's got to change, I think, um, and this is one of the positions where that change kind of comes to the fore. So, uh, I'm, you know, with all due respect to Arnold, I gotta say Fox, just because it, it's probably time for him to move on. It's probably time for the team to change a little something in their game or at least adapt the the current system to younger and uh, faster players.
0: Well, whatever happens, I, we all obviously wish the best for Davy Arnault, and if he wants to get into coaching, set him up with the D.C. United Academy, I would be very happy with that, um, assuming that's something that Davy and his family want. Next on the list, Jairo Arietta, a guy who came into uh, D.C. at the beginning of last year via uh, trade from Orlando City who had selected him somewhat surprisingly in the expansion draft, he was out of favor in Columbus. He didn't really fit Greg Burhalter's system. He's getting up there. He's on the wrong side of 30. Um, but he always seemed to perform, especially against DC United. So if nothing else, by taking him on the team, United got a, a guy who scores again of the mix. He started the season really hot, scoring twice in the Champions League and uh, netting a game-winning goal against Montreal. Scored only two more times in 2015. After March, um, Jason, cake or death for the Tico?
1: I, I feel like it's it's in, in, without a replacement in place. Um, I think it's hard to argue that Arieta should go because we saw how often he was able to change games that United was pretty dour and uh, sort of stuck in second gear. Um, Arieta doesn't necessarily offer a lot skill wise um, that we can't find somewhere else, but uh, his attitude, um, his urgency, his ten, he does run offside an awful lot, but that comes from a, it's not a um stationary player who just doesn't understand what's going on like Leonard Bohoy, um, who I think we've vowed several times not to bring up ever again. What we the just, we hell run. are you
2: doing? And yet you uh, keep
1: doing it. Uh, but uh is trying to break in behind. Um, it's it's an offside with a purpose. Um, it can be frustrating, but is that there like are times. Magazine. I I don't know. I think I've seen that in the doctor's office.
0: You didn't have um, Highlights magazine when you were a kid. It, the tagline is no. fun with a purpose. I remember it. Come on, existed, how do you
1: not? Have... Never, never, we never read it because I, I I had better things to do with my time. Were you never a kid? He was born at I forty. Was, but I
0: was. He's, he's I was not, he's like not
2: forty yet, but he was born at age
0: forty. Jason Anderson was born 40-year-old in 1937. Just because,
1: just because you guys needed something to get yourself going uh, at that age, and I didn't, uh, don't... What hold you that you think against me. in
0: Highlights hold Magazine? It. Get yourself hold going. Do you think that, that this is like Playboy for kids?
1: No, no, I'm saying it's like a, a, a leg up in the reading program. You're trying to catch up. I'm bragging by denigrating the rest of you. Again, for the <laughs> second time. At least the second time in this episode. Um but anyway... Uh, Marylanders would. That's right, we would, because we're the good state and everyone else is trash. Um, You're just really are, bad at driving. Really bad. Uh, I, my, my opinion on driving is actually that literally everyone is bad at driving. Like
2: the
0: Maryland already, drivers are the worst.
1: I, think, but I That's think, not I, true.
0: I think we can all
2: agree that Pennsylvania drivers are the worst. I actually
1: haven't had that many problems with them. I'm gonna keep trying back to protect Arietta, whether you guys like it or not. <laughs> um, I think that it's gonna be difficult for DC United to find somebody with experience to come in and be the sort of uh, change of pace forward uh, that that United kind of needs. Um, the only Alvaro problem. Sabarillo? That's the see that's the problem once they re-signed him they sort of signed, they they consigned themselves to a change of pace forward who was only sometimes effective and exactly. wasn't effective as a starter um Arieta was able to be an influence on games whether he started or came off the bench um and so re-signing Subario kind of makes it hard to justify keeping Arieta but on the other hand I, I Barring a a replacement coming in from somewhere, whether it's from the draft, um, which means maybe the player can actually play, or if it's a, a an international signing, which means we're looking for a a budget signing from abroad that can replace Arrieta, which is probably not gonna work given our long over a decade long history of uh or I guess two thousand seven is when we, we stopped being able to sign players internationally. Yeah,
0: we, we've um, still got a couple years before it's a decade. Right, so um,
1: yeah, it, it's it's hard to imagine the team doing better than Arieta in the international market. Um, he seems to like it here. He's a little expensive to be the fourth best forward on the team, um, but on the other hand, I don't I don't have a lot of confidence in, in United going out and finding a player with experience that can replace him. Now, if they want to go young um, and go through the draft, so be it. Um, we've I think talked on Twitter, not so much on the site, but um, about Eric Williamson at Maryland uh, who is uh, a freshman but is a D.C. United Academy player, and since he's been moved from a wing role to a forward role, he's been scoring quite a bit. He just scored the game-winning goal against the University of Virginia in the NCAA tournament. I don't think he's ready. had
0: an incredible run to set up the game-winner.
1: That was in that was in the uh, Big Ten tournament.
0: That was the Big Ten final. That's right.
1: Yes. Um, so he's been playing really well. I don't know that he's ready to come out just yet as a homegrown signing.
0: Um, Especially I think maybe, since we don't have a USL team set up.
1: Right. And, and I think Arietta retains some value as maybe a one-year bridge um, towards someone like Williamson. Um, but. I would like to see the team be able to replace him for less money and at a a younger age, but I don't know that they can do that. So with those substantial caveats in place, I would have to say GOAT. All
0: right, the next name on the list is Bobby Boswell, club captain, center back, international, man of mystery. Ben, cake or death for Boz?
2: Uh, I think it's a fairly obvious GOAT. well, the question of whether or not he should start is a much more
0: lively debate, but uh we'll get into that later in the off season I'm exactly,
2: sure. exactly exactly but i mean bringing him back, i think that's a fairly obvious goat he's he's the club captain he had a pretty pretty good year uh despite despite everything and um yeah whether or not you you want him or kofi Apari to start is a is a different thing, but he's got to come back even as a third center back, not many teams have that good of a third center back. I don't think he's going to be the third center back to start the season. But regardless, th- those three center backs are better than most teams' three top center backs, and you've got to you've got to be able to have you've got to be able to go at least three deep, if not four deep, on your center back line.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I think Boswell is the starter um, in ink, not just in pencil. He's is- He's the inked-in starter for at least the beginning of next year, and the dude doesn't get hurt. And the only way he loses his starting job is if he falls off a cliff. I don't mean figuratively falls off a cliff uh, performance-wise. I mean literally goes to New Mexico and, and walks off the edge of a cliff and somehow is injured at the bottom because I'm not convinced he would be injured if he fell off a cliff. Um uh, but if he is, then he might not start the next game. But that's really the only way I see him losing the starting game, the the starting gig. Uh, so yeah, obvious cake, easy cake for me.
1: Did you almost say goat? There, there was a slight pause.
0: No, I just uh, stuttered. Mm. It's a really good quality to have in a podcast host.
2: <laughs> <laughs> goat. Uh, I also say goat.
0: Uh, the for next the one. I already said Go ahead. The, the the next guy on our list is uh, going to be just as unanimous the other way. Except, no, he's not. Facundo Correa is the next name on the list. We didn't see much of him this year. We saw some of him, a few appearances when he first uh, was signed. He had one disastrous decision at FC Dallas and was basically never heard from again. He's uh, an interesting player, a lot of skill, a lot of creativity, a lot of uh determination to be the guy when someone has to be the guy he is perfectly happy to to take on the mantle but his decision making is is kind of suspect he he and I'm sure many of you remember just dribbled the ball through people until he lost it against FC Dallas despite having at least one teammate completely wide open in his line of sight. And FC Dallas took the ball the other way, as they so often do at speed, and scored to win the game and cost United a point. Uh, Jason, yeah, this happened at stoppage time. We should know. Yeah, yeah, this was late in the game. <laughs> Nin-
2: was, uh, 90, his job... 90, sec- 90 second minute. Right. Yeah,
0: his His job was to come in and not screw up, and he couldn't do it. That said, Jason, uh, my understanding is you have an argument for cake here.
1: Yeah, Correa Corey is making the as little as, as an MLS team can pay a player. That's what Correa is making. Um, and I don't think you're going to find a more skillful player than, than him at that, that price point. Um, I think United maybe has misused him. Obviously, you work your way into a doghouse. Um, it's, it's hard to get out of even when the team is crying out for that change um but korea's kind of he's a he 's a wild card in a different way than Aguilar was uh, Aguilar comes in on the wing and become we united becomes more aggressive um korea is a purely a central player, and a lot of times united struggled to create down the middle at all um and i think there were several times where where he could have come in and been a, a more useful player off the bench um i thought it was interesting that he made the the subs bench during the playoffs, uh, actually, um, though that was as much due to Michael Farfan's injury as anything else. Um, I think if United wants to change formation, if they want to play with a number 10, um, currently they don't really have a natural number 10. I think Farfan can sort of play that role, but it's not his natural spot. Um, Correa, I, I would hesitate to put him on just because of the lack of defensive awareness, the lack of game awareness, um, as a starter, but there are going to be times where you're losing, where taking that risk is worthwhile because what's the point of if you're down 2-1, there's no point in not trying to go and get the equalizer. You lose 3-1, so be it. Um, and I think Correa could be that guy uh, for United, especially because he's dirt cheap. Um, and and this is, Oh, go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was just going
2: to say, if you're down 2-1, you need to throw on an attacking midfielder. Why not just throw on Colin Martin at that
1: point instead of Facundo Correa? That 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 is a that is an argument um, that's tough to deal with because Martin obviously deserves minutes this year. Um, I do think some of the Olsen never plays his kids argument. It, it ignores the fact that Martin spent most of this year hurt. He was injured. Sure, and then of he course. Had another. Yes, definitely. And a second injury, and then he got mononucleosis, and then after that, it was you know. Too late in the year for him to really have yeah, gotten the, Then it was September right? the season's over. Right. Um, Martin and Correa are different players, though, and, and that's yeah, one definitely. thing I, I would look at. There are certain situations where Martin's ability to spread the field and involve his teammates uh, from a passing perspective is really valuable. There are other times where you need someone like Coria who's who's going to look for... This spectacular. Um, He's going to overlook the smart, simple pass, and he's going to look for something that is difficult and maybe too risky, but those kind of players are the kind of players that sometimes pull that thing off because they have the, for lack of a better term, they have the balls to try it. Um, Corio might try and dribble two or three guys down the middle rather than make a pass, and yes, against Dallas it was a horrible decision, but... When you're, What if Dallas was up to one at that point? Then all of a sudden it becomes like, well, Corey is trying to win the game on his own, and that's admirable given the score.
0: Um, right, but and there aren't enough time, there aren't players that do
1: that. No, game states absolutely matter, and that's I've already talked about, the, the flaws of Cory's yes. decision-making process. No, but I, there are going to be times where this team needs that kind of player in the mix, where it can't just be a Spindola and 10 guys.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, if Cory is happy to stay on as... Right, I who can scrape it into the 18 at the minimum salary from time to time, which given his career path, that might be the best he can hope for, then, right. then, then that's fine by me because at the league minimum, yeah. there's literally no downside to keeping him on. That said, if if his contract called for um, a raise or if right. he it ends up being some, I, I honestly don't know if he, if he would be or not, but if he ends up being a disruptive presence in the locker room, then, then yeah, it, kill him he, off the show of to get that, rid of him.
1: Right. He's one of these guys that if it's not completely on DC's terms, then yeah, you can see why they'd be like, no, no, thank you.
0: Um, right. This I, is somebody I, I would have no problem either way yeah. at the current price and in the current situation.
1: If he,
2: he does, does, he does.
0: Figuratively yeah. speaking.
2: Yes, not literally, but figuratively
0: Last name on the list for this week, and we'll have another crop for you next week. Nick DeLeon, uh, Mr. Dependable, as Jason called him in the the post, uh, about him. I I know we are all going to say cake, except that the two of you are going to say a different word that means the same thing for our purposes. Uh, He's... If Davey Arnaud is the indispensable player, Nick DeLeon is is the runner-up in that category for me in in Ben Olsen's four four two, as a wide midfielder who cuts inside and helps out going forward, uh, tracking back, uh, pulling into the middle to help make up numbers in in the center zone. E- He's just, he, he's a guy you have to have. And, and Olsen's asked him to do some pretty thankless things. And we are here to say thank you uh, for those because it's, it's hard work and it's, it, it doesn't often get recognized. But especially because his stats, I think, suffer as a direct result because he's not asked to go forward and score goals. Um, and so he hasn't replicated his rookie production, but I think he's become a much more important player than he was as a rookie for DC United, so so he's cake all day for me.
1: Cut. Yeah, I mean, this one's about as easy as they come. Uh, this is clearly a, a GOAT situation. Um, whether or not Olsen Thank wants to, so much. to stick with... Uh, the thing is, I realized I didn't at first say GOAT, and so I added a second sentence so that I could include the word GOAT in my response. Um, <sighs> if Olsen wants to stick with this 4-4-2... Um, he needs someone like DeLeon to help the central midfielders if he wants to move away from it. And, you know, there are signs that it's at least on the table, given that he was asked about the team peaking and he said, you know, maybe they have peaked. Um, or I think he just said, you know, it's a fair point to bring up. Um, but if you want to change the system and you want to be more possession oriented, Nick DeLeon is the second best possession player on the team behind Perry Kitchen. Um, and he was playing a uh, a position that was a lot harder to keep possession in than Kitchens central role um so i think i think owns a guy that you 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 want to build the team around regardless of whether it's um staying 442 or going to a diamond or playing 4231 which is a system that he has scored some goals in in the past um granted helped out by guys like De Rosario and, and Bronco Boscovich, but um you know playing in oh, an team. elevated Uh, Our our friend Botkin, who who we'll never forget. um, Him and his leather jacket. Uh, (laughs) But playing further up the field, he's he's had some success, but playing this slightly more recessed role in the 4-4-2, he's also been very valuable, and he's a player that United can't really afford to do without. And there's a reason why we've seen a lot of Connor Doyle playing as a wide midfielder, and it's because... um, no one else on the team really does what DeLeon does, and Doyle's kind of the closest thing to it. Um, not that he's, as, he's anywhere in DeLeon's class in terms of his possession of the ball or his ability to beat people on the dribble, but um, the, you, the work rate involved and these sacri- the sacrificial role involved is maybe why Doyle gets those minutes, because he will, you know, for better or worse, he's going to give everything for the team, and if the, the team needs somebody to sacrifice, he'll do it. But DeLeon is a lot better at that, and hopefully, whether it's to make a better version of Benny Ball or to change the system and become more uh, possession-oriented, more attractive, however it is that it becomes more attractive, um, I think DeLeon's a player that has a place in pretty much any system you're going to throw his way um, somewhere on the field. And Alston has said in the past uh, that he'd play DeLeon pretty much anywhere on the field, so... Um, I think this one is as obvious as they get. This is a is, the only one that's more obvious is Bill Hamid. I would say.
0: I think that's that's fair from from my perspective. Of course, Boswell and Nick DeLeon have both signed contract extensions and definitely will be around next year, no matter what we think. Luckily, we seem to agree with both those decisions. Um, that's it for Cake or Death. We'll have more names to to go through next week. Now, though, it's time to open up the Twitter box, and we've got some good questions tonight. A couple from our friend Brendan Cartwright, who is at on on Twitter and and uses the same handle in the comments section on blackandredunited.com. His first question asks, at filibuster DCU, what are the chances that United ends up with Mike McGee next year? He was MVP not too long ago for the Chicago Fire, and the Fire are going to have a new coach next year, and they are probably going to be looking to change out some parts. That said, I don't know that Mike McGee is necessarily the right fit for United. I I certainly don't want United to go after him, considering we already have Espindolo, Rolf, Sabarillo, Arrieta, all competing for time up front, which is where McGee needs to play at this point in his career. Jason, what say you?
1: Um, I I can't help but suspect that the team is going to look at McGee because he's the kind of player, no. he, fits, he fits the profile no. of a player that DC United no. would look at. Um, no matter how many times Ben yells no, no, that's the truth, is that when when DC United looks around MLS for players, they look for guys that are veterans that have been on winning teams, and Mike McGee has that in his background. Um, he, he is for the Galaxy
0: guys. He did not just always play for the Fire. He won championships right. with the Galaxy. He was Mr. October for a little while
1: right um and and McGee is redundant, Adam's correct, with um, a team that already their best our best forward combination involves two guys that are not necessarily out and out strikers um, who rove around and create danger wherever they happen to meet up. McGee um, would replicate that, but you know a lot of times you don't need to just do the same thing with a different guy. You need a different way of doing things altogether. Um, not to mention the fact that Arietta is also around, and he kind of roves around as well. Um, McGee doesn't really appear cut out to play midfield anymore, but I do think that whether we like it or not, I think United is going to give it uh, some consideration. I will bring up, though, that he was McGee was much more likely to leave when Frank Yallop was still a, the coach. Um, the last time anyone talked to McGee about his status... Was when Yallop was still in place, and McGee said, "Look, I feel like I'm I'm being underused. I don't feel like um, the coaching staff really has interest in getting me on the field, so I should probably look to move." Um, but now, today, literally today, Chicago named a new head coach who plays from the Serbian U20. Uh, the reputation that they have was that they play constructive soccer on the ground, which fits McGee a little a little bit more than the Frank Yallop ball of a uh, where McGee, I assume, would just watch the ball fly over his head for ninety minutes. Um, so maybe there's a chance that Chicago decides that McGee fits the plan, um, but that's their problem. Um, I think DC is going to kick the tires, though, whether whether we like it or not. Uh, even even at the high price point that he got, because he happened to have an MVP, a nearly MVP season during a contract year. Or so, or no, it was MVP. He did win he, MVP. He right? did
0: win MVP. Yes. yes.
1: So he had that in a contract year, and he got paid. Um, And that salary number is still following him. So um, it's out there, but I do think that they're going to at least look into it regardless of whether we think it's a good idea or not.
0: Yeah, I think in the end that salary number is going to be fatal even if Benny is in love with the idea of Mike McGee as a player. There's no way they absorb his salary uh, at this point. Brendan's follow-up. Are there any other players on teams that have gotten new coaches that could become available for United? And this is where we just say the name Tommy McNamara over and over <laughs> and over and over and over. Tommy McNamara, yeah. Thomas McNamara, Tommy Mac. He's up there in NYC just waiting and to know, be plucked from that sky blue tree.
1: And putting aside putting aside any... Um, cultish feelings towards McNamara, we know that United has interest in him because they picked him before. <laughs> They've done um, it before,
0: damn it. We right. want them to do it again.
1: They they had the chance to take... There were several good Chivas players on the board at the time. Marky Delgado was still out there. when and he United had a
0: hell of up. a year for Toronto this year.
1: Right. Um. But, and United made the... I, I think they made a good decision in not being like the other team that followed them. And And I think there were like six or seven teams that passed in a row after United was up, which was idiotic because like we just said, Marky Delgado was still there. But United had the chance to take him and they took Thomas McNamara. And I think if he had been here, we would have seen a lot more of him than uh than he saw he played in New York uh with um NYCFC. Um I feel like him and Poku are both players that United should be aggressively pursuing. Um because NYCFC is utter chaos, they don't really seem to know what they're doing at all. They brought in Patrick Vieira, who has not spent any time uh, in MLS whatsoever. Um, So So I I think... Basically,
2: all teams should be trying to take
1: any non-repeats from them. That's the problem that United might run into, is that uh, NYCFC's phones are jammed, because everyone is trying to get (laughs) Poku and McNamara, because it's it's just abundantly obvious that these are two excellent young players uh, who fit the league perfectly... Um, who create goals, they create assists. They aren't just guys that play well and then don't do anything tangible. These are guys that put numbers on the board as well as are effective uh, away from goal as well. So those two, I think, have to be at the top of any list like this. Um, I'm trying to think of who else changed coaches. Um, I'm kind of drawing. I mean, Chicago, obviously, but Chicago was terrible this year. Um, uh-huh. Patrick Niarco, um was brought up. Yeah, he, yeah, he was somebody that
0: I that I've said right. that, uh, um, and he actually, depending on the terms of the contract he signed last year, because it was reported that he would be at Chicago, at least until the end of 2015, which means he might have just signed a one-year contract. So niarco could be a free agent at the end of this year, because uh, he's old enough and has the time and service enough to yes. be in the inaugural and crop of free agents. So, and that's if you're playing four-four-two, um, he becomes a pretty interesting name because that's a system he's familiar with.
1: And has created not maybe maybe not as much as fire fans think he has where I think they've got him up for like 100 assists per season. Um, but uh, all in
0: stoppage a, time of the U.S. Open Cup,
1: which, which the 2013 semifinal, which goes to today, it still continues it's happening. to
0: this day. Yeah.
1: Um, but uh, he he would fit the system I think pretty well, but you know obviously they just announced their coach, um, so there's a lot of of shakeout that has to happen there, and it's it's um, Velko, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his first name right, uh, um has some familiarity with MLS, he played in MLS in 2011 with the Union, um, so he's not someone coming in, it's not a Patrick Vieira situation or he's coming into an organization that's utter chaos, well, and, but and, more
0: importantly, and, Nelson Rodriguez is the GM up in Chicago right. now.
1: So so someone there has seen these players before and is like, you know, this guy can do this and that guy can do that, whereas Vieira is coming in maybe having watched a little tape from time to time. um, He watched one
2: L.A. Galaxy game, uh, L.A. Galaxy-Seattle Sounders game in, like, 2011.
1: No, I don't even think he would have watched that. It would have been, like, one NYCFC game just so he could be like, no, I know that guy, Uh, his name is... um, David Vieira. What's his face, Uh, Pirlo? (laughs) And they're like, Yeah, you know guys on the team, great. You got the job. Um No, but I think the team to pillage right now would be NYCFC because of the chaos there. Um But you know, there are still coaching changes to come probably. Um there's still other stuff going on. There's we've seen coaches coaching situations in MLS go on into the preseason when the other the team knew they wanted to hire somebody else at this time of year. So
2: Pablo Mastroeni is still somehow
1: employed by Colorado Rapids, and who have apparently decided that they're not going to change. So, no, we're good. We're good here.
0: Go, is, that is the single most Colorado yeah. Rapids thing they could do.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yep. He's, he's presented no semblance of a plan the last couple of years. Like even even Ben Olson basically had to re-interview for his job after 2013, and say this is my plan to save us. And 2014 we. We're the best team in the East in the regular season, so obviously the plan had some merit. Whether you agree with it or not, it had merit. Pablo Mastroni has apparently not had to do anything of the sort. He has just been given the keys.
1: Not just Masteroni, but Paul Bravo, the GM, uh, because Casper also had to come in and interview for his job. Um, No one in Colorado appears to be held – there's just no – like, hey, we were really terrible this year. Is there anyone that was to blame? Maybe we should think about this. It's nope, just like, nope. the only thing Colorado's got is like, well, we got this discovery claim on Carlos Vela, so that's cool. And <laughs> Yeah, they're definitely going to get him. Good, good luck getting Stan Kroenke to part with, I think it was the figure I saw earlier was about roughly $16 million. Good luck getting uh, Kroenke to part with that to bring in Carlos Vela. Unless MLS just decides that they'll do it for Colorado, but they won't do it for Colorado. They do it for somebody else. <laughs>
0: they do it for Seattle.
1: like, Colorado, you're, you're going to screw this up. I'm not going to hand you this money. That's crazy. Yeah. And they'd our be last,
0: right. Our <laughs> last question tonight comes from Josh Weber, who is at Salisbury United. Uh, I'm only going to read part of your question, Josh. Uh, I apologize, but we are over as it is. Uh, who is the starter... He asks us at filibuster DCU who is the starter most likely to be traded this winter. Please be more creative than Chris Pontius in this well, Chris, answer.
2: Chris Pontius won't be traded because he's just going to be available in the reentry draft. So,
0: right, but there's always a chance that he gets traded before that and signs a new contract.
2: Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I think he's going into the reentry entry draft. I,
0: I, I think you're right. Um, but is there a starter who's likely to be traded? This year, because United has needs, United has very tangible right. needs on the field, yeah. and there are but some positions met? we're stronger at than others. That maybe we we see a trade. Maybe I I really don't think they sign they they trade any of their their center backs at this point. But that's that's a position of strength. Maybe Sean Franklin gets traded to somebody. See, actually,
2: that, that's a good shot because. Somebody can
0: use Sean Franklin for a year before he drops off. I mean, he's he's got more than a year before he drops off. He's still in his 20s. He's, what, 29 right now? So he's probably got two no, or three 39. good years left. No at, least. No, no. at least two or three good years, 31. I think.
2: But he's 31. He's not oh,
0: 29. He's 31. Okay. Yeah, maybe he only has yeah. one or two good years. Um. See, my my thought is is
1: the age of a lot of United's players is going to dissuade trade yeah, interest. exactly. Um, so you start to look at players that teams would want to trade for. Um, obviously, if Perry Kitchen were to sign a contract, people would be interested in him, but if he's leaving DC United, it's because he's playing in Europe. Um, and yeah, let's be clear, like the fact that he hasn't signed a contract trade. yet means... Right. And the fact that he hasn't signed a contract yet and we're nearly into December means that he's probably going to Europe. Um, you might want to start emotionally preparing for that. Um but the to three to, of us have been emotionally question, preparing
0: since August.
1: Yeah.
2: We, we, it's
0: been
2: a we've while. we've um, been we've been monks out in the uh, Perry Kitchen wastelands just prepare, or just flogging ourselves. I mean it would be preparing. awesome. It,
1: it, it would be awesome if he just decided to sign a deal or if United could put forward a deal that could keep him. I just don't see it happening. No. Um but to answer the question and to fit within the parameters where it's not just Pontius. Um, I could see teams making some big offers for De Leon, um, especially some of your more possession-oriented teams. Um, I could see teams looking at Taylor Kemp, some of your attacking teams, um, Please looking take at him. Taylor Kemp Five, and, go, take and him. seeing um, his crossing ability and his attacking ability, and saying like, "Look, our fullbacks don't even defend that much anyway, so we should be trying to sign someone like Kemp because that's the whole job of the fullback in this system." Sure, go um, take him. Some of those teams don't need that player. Um, Columbus does not need Taylor Kemp when they've got Waylon Francis. Um, Portland arguably doesn't need that player because they've got the other version of Taylor Kemp, which is Jorge Um, Villafana.
0: The Red Bulls with Kamar Lawrence don't need him.
1: Yeah, they don't need him though. Kamar but Lawrence should should have been signed by DC United. Unfortunately, but, but we why, why, that.
2: But why would we trade him to a playoff team? We're going to trade him to a
1: team that didn't make no. the playoffs, so we're going to trade him. No, but I'm saying attacking teams and a lot of the teams that are in the playoffs and that made the playoffs happen to be MLS's attacking teams. Um, there aren't too many teams that missed the playoffs that were attack-minded uh, from the get-go. Well, of course, but the but, 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 the,
2: but the the teams that are, did, missed the playoffs are going to want to be attacking, so they're going to want to try and change their uh, no, mindset. the, the, dumb, the, the, dumb, the You the don't do that one. with a fullback. The, I'm talking about the dumb teams.
0: The dumb if, teams so are going to so want to... we're going to trade Taylor Kemp to the Colorado Rapids for all the... <laughs> not under Matt Rooney.
1: Keeping in mind that Pablo Mastoretti made sure to stock his back four with as many center backs as he could put on the field. Uh, I mean, also, like, you're, you're a center way. back, you're playing right back. Mark um, you're a center back, Birch. you're playing left back. Mark uh, well, Birch. Mark Murch started like four games for Colorado this year. They went he out and signed Maynor Figueroa. He
2: still exists?
1: He does still exist. But no, the Rapids are dumb, but they're not interested in going forward. They're like the least attack-minded team in MLS. They scored six or seven goals this year. Um,
0: sure, but, oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think oh, no, I, if we did trade Taylor Kemp, if we did trade Taylor Kemp, Taylor Kemp, I think New, Kemp. New England might be the the most likely no, destination. I, I, but I just, but even then, they have Tierney. Tierney, who's no, right,
2: I just and, realized they you know,
0: lost him somehow.
2: We're, we're trading Taylor Kemp for Mike McGee, aren't we?
0: No, <laughs> um,
1: because hope McGee not. is going to be available some other way. Um, a team like Chicago does come to mind, though, just because if Pavlovic yeah. is like, look, oh, I want this team to go forward, um, and I don't want to play Jovan Jones at left back, then someone like Kemp becomes interesting. Um, maybe NYCFC um, because they for, didn't t- have, for Tommy McNamara. Yeah, if
0: we want McNamara or Poku, Taylor Kemp, I would be willing to pay.
2: Oh I I would, I yeah I would immediately give up Kemp for either McNamara or Poku.
1: I would but I would really That you're a terrible negotiator. About. We
0: want both of them for Taylor Kemp. He's an indis- indispensable left back. Okay. We need both Poku and McNamara. Hey, keeping
1: okay. In, keeping in mind that, that after Fabian Espindola the top two provider of key passes on DC United in 2015 were Sean Franklin and Taylor Kemp. Um I this know, but... is a team that play they they depend on the fullbacks to provide Scoring chances, and it's I not know, great, that but we can do better than Taylor Kemp.
2: Not, not only can we do Taylor better than Taylor Kemp, we have to do better than Taylor Kemp next year for our starting left fullback. if we're going to play the same way, we've got to have somebody better than him if we want, we're probably
1: it, we're probably going to have to take the trade off that that player is not going to be as good going forward um because I, this is America, and we don't make left backs. Yeah, I will Um, say a lot of left backs that are good attacking and defending usually have to choose.
0: Yeah, I will say that Shooter was much better this year than he was last year, and he was much better at the end of this year than he was at the beginning of this year. And if that that growth curve continues, he will be quality MLS left back in in relatively short order. I I am my my point he's already
2: pretty pretty old.
1: My point wasn't to find players that United should trade. It's the players that people would want yeah. to trade
0: for. Yeah.
1: Um, and yeah, since United then, has so many guys over 30... Something else. Right. Which is fine. But because uh, uh, United has, has so many over 30 guys, the pool of players they can trade that teams are going to really want uh, that are, are more interesting than Chris Pontius, well, we were given some strict parameters, <laughs> um, it's not a big pool right now.
0: I'm just giving the people what they want to hear. Which, at this point, is probably the end of the show. Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter, at filibusterdcu. At blackandredu for the website, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We take love letters. We take hate mail. We always take advertising inquiries. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. Uh, We are also on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, tell a friend about us when you're watching the second leg of the Eastern and Western Conference Finals this weekend. So for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason.
1: Goodbye, Jason.
2: song is called Alice's Restaurant it's about Alice